Hey guys, on this episode of EdTech, we're going to be talking with Josiah Way and Willie Franklin. We're going to be talking about user interface versus user experience. All this and more on EdTech. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode 91. UI versus UX. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Kramer, AV Beyond the Box. This is EdTech, the Higher Ed Tech Monthly Podcast. This month, I'm joined by Joe Way over at USC, as well as Willie Franklin over at uh, Otterbein University. How are you guys? Absolutely great. Doing fantastic. Thanks for inviting. Oh, yeah, of course. So this month, I thought it'd be a little different. Um, normally, we kind of follow, follow some of the trends. But this one um, was something that, funny enough, uh, Joe and Willie and I were all ended up kind of talking a little bit about uh, during uh, Joe's uh, 100th podcast, uh, which, you know, if you get a chance, mm-hmm. uh, go find that on, mm-hmm. uh, um, as I say, actually, Joe, you know what? Tell the fine folks where they can find that because my brain is uh, still waking up here. Yeah, no, that was that was one of the most fun times ever is that 100th episode, which by the way, I can't believe I made it to 100. Um, <laughs> is Yeah, you can find it at Higher Ed AV. So obviously it's on, just look up Higher Ed AV, either on all your socials, I post things there, but uh, we're on all the biggies, you know, iTunes, all that stuff, Google, oh. Spotify, iHeart, all that. So there you go. <laughs> Got my pitch in early. There you go. Um, no, but with the, one of the things that we ended up uh, talking a little bit about was um, there's user experience and there's user interface. Now, for those of you who don't know, user experience is what we do all the time. I mean, you know, we do user experience pre- pretty much if you have a smartphone, you do it all the time. Um, you know, that's how, you know, it's how you interact with the app. It's how you go and say, oh, all right, it natively works like this. Um, and then there's user interface. Now, user interface is you can do it via web GUI, you can do it via button panels, you can do it uh, via an iPad, or if you're like me, who uh, grew up with the Extron 226s, uh, those were hard code button pa- button panels, um, and uh, or you know, God help me, uh, the system, the uh, I'm trying to remember if it was the System Six or System Eights. Um, that those were Extron units and literally there were dip switch settings that, you know, it was one push button and everything, but it was, you know, hard code to a specific uh, um, uh, projector uh, or display or projector line. So anyway, uh, I'm going off the rails with this. So what does that have to do with higher ed? In this case, for us as tech managers, I view it as we're trying to manage both the user interface as well as the user experience. And I can appreciate it where we have folks like Crestron and Extron, AMX, all these other com- companies, uh, or Utelogy, where they have it where they are very specific. They want you to get trained on it yourself because in the past, folks have kind of just gone and thrown the stuff in. And in some cases, there wasn't uh, any kind of quality control or quality oversight. And so you ended up with uh, faculty members who would go into the room, had never dealt with it before. If they had, they had kind of like a bums rush training. And I made it like the analogy of, uh, you know, 
if you go to a rental car shop and you only, you know, you're used to driving automatic for the longest time and they say, oh, we only have a, a little Chevy Aveo and it's in stick shift. Yeah, you'll remember that car. You'll remember it for all the wrong reasons. So um, for you guys, this is one of those things I want to see, like how you guys approach uh, user experience. And that does include things like training or, you know, doing Q&A sessions or things like that. Or just, you know, how you guys do the troubleshooting. Because, you know, we've all had those phone calls where the faculty have gone and said, like, you know, basically, the room's on fire. I can't, I can't get my, my, my slides to show up. Or Zoom is down, as we are in the current, uh, in the current pandemic situation and everything. I, I, you know, we've had it a couple of times where folks says, well, well, Zoom cuts out like every 40 minutes. And I'm like, are you guys using your account or the school account? I don't know. It's just, it's not working. This and that. You have to come down. And of course, you know, I, you know, we blank the screen and everything because I've, I've learned from my own experience. Um, uh, professors tend to, you know, not like to lose face in front of the, in front of the students and everything. So it's just one of those like, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. We'll figure this out and go through it. And, you know, most times it's the oops kind of bit, but you know, and once they're done, I always try to downplay it with them. Cause they're like, oh, I, you know, oh, I can't believe this happened or, oh, I can't get that. And I go, how many years have you guys been doing, have been doing either AV design or troubleshooting or installs? And they go zero. I'm like, well, then don't worry about it. It's, it's, you know, if, if they, you know, if it was someone who was teaching computer science and then is suddenly telling me, you know, Oh, zoom isn't working. And it's, you know, reasons a and uh, reasons uh, a, they use their personal account. I might be a little like, okay, all right. This is a little bit of a homebrew experiment thing, but whatever. So that being said, like Joe, like Joe, I'll go to you first and then we'll go to Willie with this. Yeah. You know, um, like many things, I'm very opinionated when it comes to uh, user interface and user experience. Um, <laughs> no surprise there for anybody uh, because so here's the thing. Um, I like, okay, first off, there's something to love about the old 226s, right? Just when it was simple, when there was a button, it turned on, it turned off. Mm -hmm. um, yet it's also, you know, it's so intuitive yet you also lose a lot, right? We, you think about accessibility and you think about other options and, and giving the, the, the faculty member um, the ability to adjust settings and things like that, kind of you need to move on uh, from that. However, um, like my pet peeve, and I say this all the time, when, when I first came to my former institution and I looked at the touch panels and even our touch panels here at USC, I mean, I kid you not, it took me five minutes to figure out how to turn on the screens. I mean, I'm looking there going, there's like on button. I hit the on button and then you had to select what you wanted on. No, I just want the thing to turn on. Like it was crazy. And it was like four page. Like I hate when you select something, my biggest pet peeve, and we do this all the time, hit the thing and the pop-up screen that says, are you sure? No, I'm sure. Cause that's why I hit the button. Right. If I wasn't sure, I wouldn't have hit the button. Imagine if your iPhone asked you every single time you opened an app, if you're sure you wanted to open that app or every time you wanted to close an app, are you sure you want to close that app? And yet we do that over and over and page flip after page flip. So really what we did uh, recently is we redesigned designed the whole thing from scratch and we brought in our faculty to design it. We brought in all of our users because we are very big here on user-centered design and design thinking. It's just the way it works through our, our entire department. And we said, okay, 
you tell us what you do when you come in, right? What do you think of? You know, I come in here and I do this and I want to put this down, I plug this in, then I want to start class. And then I want, I guess that has to be on. And then this, you know, I'm assuming that they can hear me, right? So you're kind of listening and going, and that was one, like one of our big ahas. I say this all the time is like, now we went, oh, ours, our thing doesn't say, you know, system on, system off. It says start class and end class, right? <laughs> it's looking at it from the point of view of the faculty member. What do they actually want to do? And don't think of and not thinking of it from what we think is supposed to happen, right? And, and now we can, we've ended up taking all of our buttons, all of our user interface to match the user's desired experience, right? And it's the melting of those two things, um, which we've seen huge uh, drop in numbers of assistance, of asking for assistance, because now it makes sense to them, right? Because you're looking at it from a, like their, their pedagogy, their, their thought of how they want to perform. Mm -hmm. And that changes everything, even though I'm still a little upset that we do have a, you sure you want to turn the system off button. <laughs> I got rid of all of them. I couldn't win that argument. So Okay. Oh well. Now, now, all right. See, now I'll play the devil's advocate with that one in which uh, we have had faculty who, uh, for lack of better terms, do the, the occasional, you know, oops, I did that. Uh, and so we always, we, we tend to put that in there. The, are you sure you want to shut the system down only because, uh, straight, funny enough, there's the help button that's up in the top corner. And then there's the shutdown button that's in the bottom button. Now we've also, the other thing that we've also started to have to learn to do is, uh, we've, and I don't know if you guys have had to deal with this, but for ADA compliances, we've had to make sure that all the buttons actually work in grayscale as well yeah. as, um, color. Yep. And um, originally I would make the joke of like, yeah, no, it's just the big red button. And everyone's like, uh, Bill, red, green, colorblind. I'm like, oh, that's a thing. Yeah, I forgot. Yep. Yep. Um, now on the flip side, though, one of the things that we are kind of experimenting here is uh, for you guys, then, you know, Joe, do you guys have a phone in the classrooms or no? Uh, we did. Um, huh? and then, <laughs> we, we did because that's how they would call us. And because we just moved to an HTML5 based uh, system mm -hmm. and uh, it now actually just launches a Zoom call directly into our help desk. Oh. So, um, and because that's the, actually the beauty of the touch panels that we use um, that allow, you know, built in microphone, built in camera, all the Oh, the Zoom rooms. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. And you can launch it right into it. So that's kind of neat. Um, it's been a nice change, uh, but we did formerly have the, the camera or the phones in there. Ah, okay. So this is the thing that we're working on. And that is, uh, if you don't know this, some of the uh, Crestron panels uh, actually have both uh, um, SIP and as well as like a little intercom. And we don't like to tell folks that there's a mic and camera in the, in the TSW series because many, many, many moons ago, uh, we had a system called Tegrity and we had a webcam that was mounted up in the ceiling and I would come in periodically and I'd see like a piece of paper like taped up in front of the thing because everyone's like, oh, but I don't want it recording me and this and that. And I'm going, <laughs> yeah, Willie's already looking going like, yep, nope, been there. Uh, <laughs> but so we've had that. So I'm, I'm, it's one of those I'm quietly putting this in, but the eventual end goal is when you hit the uh, help button and everything, it's actually going to initiate a SIP call 
that will actually go to our regular help desk line. And from there, you know, the folks can actually talk and go from there. Right now, we've got it to where it goes almost like an intercom system to one touch panel. And the reason we had to come about that was because our science buildings, now I don't know if they're protecting for the eventual fallout nuclear blast or what have you, um, but there is the most horrid uh, cell phone reception ever. And that's even with repeaters in there. So as opposed to us putting phones in every single room, we're looking at it going, you know what, we will update. And by the way, there are currently, I think the, there's like the, TP, the TPS 2000s, which you've ever seen those things. They still run on like the Crestnet cable and, you know, updating that thing takes forever. But once again, this comes back to user experience of we're trying to make it to where the faculty are the most comfortable with, with, with the room. And that's also for us, it's why we standardized all our touch panels and everything. Now, some folks, you know, some folks may go and say, oh, but, you know, we have like rooms that only professor so-and-so uses. And it's like, that's good. But you guys know as well as I do, if you make, you know, X number of specialized rooms, it then turns into the folks who can actually troubleshoot them are only, you know, technicians X, Y, and Z. And yeah, and then there's almost like a, a like a little you know trick of like oh yeah I remember with this one like the wiring the wiring for the screen control is reversed in this one because that's how the installers did it or something like that and it's we try to go by the standards just because in our case we tend to have uh, student workers who will go into they'll remotely see what's going on with the PC and then if there's a trouble with the classroom equipment we remote into it via we have uh, X panels for all our classrooms and then from there. You know, if it's really mucked up, as I would put it, uh, then we'll actually send someone someone over. And it's it's because if for our for our case, and uh, you know, you guys are kind of nodding your heads about this. Our staff is only so big. Uh, for us, it's we have one we have two people over at a satellite building that's down the road from us, and then there's only probably another two people and myself for a campus size that has about 250 classrooms. So, you know, we, we have to, you know, we, we can't be running all over the place because, I mean, you know, it, it would be great for me to get all those steps in, but at the same time, you know, there, there'd be a wait list in the, in the ticket queues, but yep. yeah, go, go ahead. You guys, you guys, as this is, hey, I can see this. I, I, I want to hear Willie's on this. Yeah. Yeah. This is, Willie's laughing and I'm just going, I'm like, I know. oh, he's got some gems. I can feel this. Uh, did you hear my laughter even with my mic muted? I, I, <laughs> we, know, we saw it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was reflecting on what you were sharing, both from the standpoint of finding paper taped over a camera. Uh, you know, we had an occurrence uh, where a faculty member had left a room after a video conference session, had the camera set to track, powered down the system, but hadn't powered down the camera. So the next faculty member came in, began teaching, and just happened to look up and see the camera that was following her as she moved about her classroom. She stopped teaching, blew up the help desk line, and was absolutely livid. Uh, and we couldn't reassure her in any way that the system was not live, but the camera was indeed on and just simply following movement. Uh, so that user experience uh, is very important that we see their world from their perspective. You know, as Joe was talking earlier and listening to the, the voice of faculty talk about 
talking about end-user training and, and concerns of pedagogy, it became very evident for, for us as we were implementing technology in the classroom that in order to get buy-in, not only did we have to bring in faculty uh, as part of a focus group who were very skilled with technology, but we needed to actually tap the resources of faculty who were, fac who were technology timid, as well as administrative assistance, believe it or not. Uh, often those administrative assistants are like that first line of support. You know, the faculty member comes back, screams at them, you know, just screams at them. They in turn call us and try to interpret what the problem is. Um, so that was really instrumental in a lot of our classroom design, particularly as it relates to the touch panel interface. That panel that users experience is shaped by the logic of people who are thinking more along the use of a device, not concerned about the definition of an input, right? Uh, so from our perspective, we were putting icons indicating HDMI one, two, things, three. Uh, it made perfect sense in our world and their world. They wanted to know conclusively What's the DVD player? You know, show me the button I need to touch for that DVD player. Show me the button I need to touch to bring up my laptop. Show me the button I need to touch to lower the screen. And I agree with you, Joe, uh, designing from a standpoint that that panel doesn't ask you, are you sure you want to turn it on? Are you sure you want to turn it off? We removed that. It was almost a default in previous designs, and, uh, and it was almost comical. Uh, because it forced users to, to just go through unnecessary steps. There was only one location on campus where we kept that degree of interaction, and that is in our music department, because I, I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe it's based on reading sheet music, where you need to understand the cadence, you need to understand the, the beat, the measures, that you basically need to vet your actions. You know, do you want to turn it off? Do you want to turn it on? Because without that, we found that people were indeed turning things off accidentally. And then you have the lag time before that projector will cool down and cycle back on. So by making certain to keep that, um, that button to clarify, is this an intended action you want to take? It really decreased the help desk calls. And, and, and I have to go back to the, uh, the X-Run 226s. Um, I fell in love with those units so greatly that I still have two brand new systems in a box that are, oh gosh, 10, 12 years old, maybe 14 years old, because we bought extras. I mean, we had rooms that didn't exist, but we loved them so much that we bought extra and just had them on the shelf never deployed them because in that timeline, as technology progressed, we went more to touchscreen interfaces. But there's something about that mechanical feedback of the depress of that button. I mean, heck, in my goodie box, I even have old um, single throw, single pole toggle switches that were pulled from systems long ago, and I can't bring myself to throw them away because the feel <laughs> of those switches is just so beautiful. That mm -hmm. reassuring thud, it's like visiting grandma's place and turning on the light switch when you enter the kitchen or bedroom. It says you have arrived, you know, and clunk. Yeah. Uh, you don't get that with the touch panels, you know, you don't get that feedback, right? 
I totally, you know, it's so funny. Sorry, I want to I jump in because this is the one thing that I did notice was, you know, granted, now that we're so used to our, our smartphones and using, you know, a, 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 dis, a glass display of some sort and, and touch panel in our normal lives, that tactile, that was the thing that, that I think is really missed that people, when you actually, you press, you expect a response that you don't get on a normal touch panel. And I know there's someone out there, I don't know if it's Mimo or somebody makes an actual tactile touch panel mm. and where you can actually feed. And I don't know if it just gives you feedback through a vibration or it actually, and that might not even be them, but somebody does. And I thought, you know, that's something that needs to be brought into it. If you can create, you know, some type of physical feedback to know that you did something um, that would really improve it a lot. So all the manufacturers, of course, after this, you know, this podcast, I'm pretty sure the 226 just became the top seller again. After we all, <laughs> we all just talked about how great it was. 226 um, plus. That's what, yeah, that's what, that's yeah. what I shall do. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, that that's one thing that I think that we could improve on, especially because there's no standard, right? If you look at, you know, an Android device or an Apple device, you expect, what it's going to look like. Even if I take any of my staff members' phones, my daughter's phone, I'm going to be able to figure it out because of that. Well, in our spaces, you know, you go, and not that our faculty move from school to school, place to place, but there's so many different touch panel looks. Um, and probably even in our schools, if you're not a standardized campus, which we are mostly standardized in our general use, but we are also very federated. You know, our school of business has their own things all that. So you could get faculty that have four or five different interfaces. Even if they're all simple, that's still difficult. Like it's just not, they're having to relearn how to do everything every time they walk into a space, right? And that's that's the difficult part. So anyway, we can do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I agree. You know, we, we get a little bit of that experience now as we're living within the world of Zoom. And you have some faculty that have become very comfortable with Zoom, but they're trying to unlearn, uh, say, Skype for business or trying to unlearn that parallel use of Blackboard uh, Ultra. And, um, and, and it's interesting mm -hmm. because muscle memory kicks in. And you start looking for the consistency in those icons and locations and, and color. And a little change that happens between those platforms in, in our world, it's, it's not really huge. You know, you're able to navigate fluently through it. But for the end user, it could be a showstopper. Um, so winning that buy-in is, is very important. And, and it's always important that we hear their voices, you, you know, and, and I'll, I'll kind of jump to one other topic here real quick. I've been involved uh, of late in a lot of diversity, uh, equity and inclusion conversations, which are always fantastic. But one statement that I now bring forward out of one of those interactions is listening to understand instead of listening to respond. And I think I know, in fact, in our office, uh, particularly the help desk staff, and this isn't to throw anyone under the bus, but often we get rooted in that listening to respond or almost listening to react instead of listening to understand. So hearing and appreciating the voice of the end user and the concern, regardless of how pedestrian it may sound, it might be a small nuance change that's needed to win them over. And when you get to that root irritant, 
that's driving their frustration and they see that you care, you know, again, they're not caring about how much you know. They just want to know how much you care. And when you lead with that little bit of empathy, I mean, it's it's just glorious. The outcome is absolutely glorious. Yeah, we um, so <clears throat> this was one of the, you know what I'll I, I will Willie I totally understand you with this. So we ended up having our music department uh, wanted us to start doing distance learning with some of their students, and we've found a way to where we've been using uh, WebEx room kits, and we can actually now bridge them with Zoom calls. And I ended up, uh, you know, doing a little walkthrough with the chair of the department because these were like two percussion rooms. And, you know, I'm not I I know better than to just kind of come in like a like a buffalo about stuff and just be like, oh, yeah, here, we're just going to slap it up on this wall. And there you go. And so I brought the chair along with me and everything. And he started talking about things and we were going back and forth and he was going, you know, he said, it'd be nice if we could turn this into a full classroom. I said, yeah. I said, well, okay. You know what, Tim, tell me what you need. Tell me what the room needs to do for you. I said, I, you know, I'm not going to guarantee you a full classroom, but I can at least let's see what, you know, what do you guys want to accomplish? What do you want to do? And he said, well, he said, uh, I've seen the uh, solstice pods and everything. He said, I, I'd like to be able to just, you know, kind of wirelessly present like what's on my iPad and like put that up to the room and this and that. And I said, okay, let me, let me just double check with the WebEx folks and everything. And, you know, lo and behold, they have uh, WebEx share, which, you know, it's a different flavor of wireless collaboration and everything, but it works. And I said, yeah, of course, here, we'll start going through it and everything. And Tim was overjoyed about it. Now, you know, once he saw that there was also a touch panel that came with it, that was a whole separate thing. But he liked the fact that, oh, okay, this isn't just for video conferencing or just for doing Zoom sessions. I can actually use this for, for other teaching methods and everything. And so for them, like that actually got like a bit of a buy-on. Now, I, I will say this, um, the rest of the music faculty, the, we do have some folks who we've been trying to coax into Blackboard and everything. And let's just say it's a process, but um, you're right. It's coming off. It, it's, it's giving them some empathy because even with COVID and yes, we do have students in, on the ground and everything. And I don't know about you guys for us, our enrollment has gone down. So you know, everyone's kind of looking at budgetary numbers and they're worrying and going, okay, you know, how do I, how do we make the most out of what we have? So um, us doing this, as far as like, you know, letting students be able to do, you know, distance practicing and everything. Yeah, I'm all for that. Mostly because um, I don't know about you guys, but for us, um, the music department, it's, you know, they've been doing a certain amount of practices outside, but beyond that, once the once the cold kicks in, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. So we're doing that as a means of not preventative, but just trying to adapt to, to what we're dealing with. And like I said, it's, it's not saying it's, you know, if you try to tell the faculty, Oh no, you're getting this. Well, you know, if you tell someone who has a PhD and has been working on their stuff for so long and suddenly, yeah, you tell them, yes, no, you're doing this. Uh, yeah. They're going to dig their heels in like you can't believe. Um, but if you say, hey, we're trying to, like you said, it's a bit of empathy. Listen, we want to make your stuff. We want to give you guys the tools to be able to do all that you can. 
is I will admit up front, uh, no one's coming to William Patterson because we can do Zoom in the classroom. Like that's just, you know, no one's, no one's going, oh, I want to go there. It's more along the lines of, I want to go to this program because the faculty really care. They can do all this. They can present everything that they need to. And it's never, you know, there's never been an issue for me to get a hold of the faculty. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting question thing though, that you brought up. You said that nobody comes because yeah, we can do zoom in a classroom. Is there a sense that, that, that because of the new paradigm that that's shifting, is there a sense that because I don't think we're ever leaving hybrid world ever. No. Um, now it will, the, the, the percentage will change, you know, right now it's 90 to hundred percent. It'll probably drop down to 20%. For, you know, especially like a traditional R1 like us, it will definitely drop low. But is there a sense that, you know, hey, I can have a campus feel, but have flexibility in my classes that I can take two online or two hybrid and only have to go to two in person, maybe my upper divisions in person. And that gives me freedom to do other activities, get involved. Is there a point now that, yeah, no one ever came because of the technology in class but is that always going to be the case? Do we think that might change? I, I think it's one of those things that they're going to have to hammer down with faculty in the regards of you give them the option to do this stuff online or option of hybrid. Because there are some folks like our language department, they are very much like, no, no, they got to be in here. They can't be in here. All right, fine. We'll do the Zoom session, but I got to see their mouths because I have to see them enunciate. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I'm getting the same thing from some of our faculty, but I'm also getting, um, if you will, it, it rolling into a personnel matter where there is the expectation that faculty will be on campus teaching in person for X amount of hours through that semester, right? Uh, but I think it opens the door. I mean, this new environment opens the door for people to be a bit more flexible. I mean, faculty, like our students, are real people. You have real things that happen in life, whether you are ill that day or you have a child that's ill and you've got to figure out how to manage your schedule. So now you have this opportunity to be at home, go online and still interact with your students. So you're not missing that teaching opportunity. It's not the same as face to face, but there's still that degree of connectivity. So I think managing those expectations, uh, whether one is expected to be um, there present with butts in the seat or just available interacting with students, be it online, in person or hybrid of the two. And I see that all week, and I know a lot of you are experiencing the exact same thing, right? Where you have faculty who are in class, students that are in the classroom, and some students who are not leaving their dorm room and are just logging on. Um, so for us here at Otterbein, we are trying to manage that headcount of physical students within the classroom. And it's not management from a standpoint of too many students. Uh, we're good to go there. It's too few students because presented with that option to exist in class in their pajamas, uh, dress comfortably, sitting on the edge of their bed uh, or in a stairwell. It's interesting how creative some students can be. So long as they can get Wi-Fi, they're engaged, it seems. But the reality is we anticipated a lot more students to be present 
within those classroom environments. And certainly we've applied all of the best social distancing practices. We even designed rooms that if you had 40 students who had to be physically present, you could have two to three classrooms connected uh, so everyone is engaged and they're still physically present. What we have found though, is students have embraced that distance education. Mm -hmm. Now, all of them will certainly share that it's not the same, you know, the degree of interaction, the connectedness that they once had pre-COVID is certainly not the same. We all realize that, but they welcome that degree of flexibility and they don't feel that it's punitive in any sense if they don't show face uh, within the classroom environment and, and stay online. Um, I, I think the biggie, and I'll go back to the mouth movement piece with regards to uh, language and studying language, that's certainly of critical importance. So for that curriculum, uh, we went forward to make certain that students had face coverings that were clear, whether they were plastic shields or a fabric mask, but it did have an opening where you can see the mouth movement, and that becomes uh, mission critical. Uh, for being able to perform adequately in that classroom. And even in our uh, choir, um, the, the masks that the students wear for choir performance, I, I call them duck bills. They're absolutely huge. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're massive, right? It, it's like Rick Morantis in, you know, Dark Helmet. Oh, it's, uh, the, it's, the, uh, it's the plague doctor. Yes, yes. But it allows them to project vocally Mm -hmm. uh, while protecting one another so that they're not super spreaders. Mm -hmm. um, and then one little piece, uh, just picking up on what you said, Bill, as far as a lot of the curriculum aspects of, say, dance, theater that have migrated outside, we've kind of become a tent campus. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's interesting, um, but I wonder how well will we do as the weather now starts to get a bit colder. I mean, central Ohio is, is seeing this beautiful foliage. The, the change of leaves is absolutely outstanding. But when you walk outside, you're also feeling that difference in temperature. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be interesting going forward, how long they'll stay outside with space heaters versus yeah. migrating uh, indoors. And, and what will be asked of us with regards to supporting the technology needs of that curriculum. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just going to keep it to this guys. I, this has been an awesome uh, conversation and everything. I, the, the way that um, I tend to view it all is, and you know, Joe's right about this. Uh, I think COVID kind of accelerated the idea of doing uh, hybrid classes as well as online classes. Now, was this something that was going to happen? Yes. But I also view this as, you know, pardon my, you know, pardon the, the the expression with this one. This was like kind of like a baptism by fire because you can tell like certain certain uh, uh, colleges and universities were like, yeah, okay, we can adapt to this, and others it just kind of went into this. Oh my gosh, oh we have to get this done, and um, you know the the best way we 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 worked it through was. We offered classes and training sessions to the faculty almost about a month to a month and a half out before classes began and everything. And we had a range of faculty who, 
you know, they're like, yeah, um, I just wanted to see how it was going to work. And then once they actually saw mm -hmm. like, you know, how we had it set up with the hover cam, which was just kind of plug and play, here you go. Uh, they said, oh, that's it. Oh, this is great. Okay, great. Oh, I was, I thought this was going to be far more complicated. Uh, and then we had other faculty members who came by and um, as we were telling them, yeah, you know, you can actually schedule this with uh, your Zoom session with Blackboard. And they went, oh, how do we use Blackboard? And we're like, oh, okay, this is a whole separate session. But, you know, you, you, you don't scold them. You don't, you don't do that because literally you need to get buy-in from the faculty. And that's just one of those, that's just one of those bits where, you know, it's just like, okay, all right, you know, all right, we went from, from intermediate to now I got to do a remedial course. Okay, fine. No problem. Here, we'll set you up with a session with our Blackboard folks and everything and just go. You know, and, it, all, yeah. it all circles right back around to your very initial opening. Um, and it, it but it, it does, because you think about when you said, okay, we're going to talk about user experience and, you know, user interface, we all went right to touch panels, right? That's where we went. <laughs> but user experience now in this, you know, hate the term new normal, but this next, you know, this next era of our lives user experience extends well beyond just the interface of being able to turn and turn stuff off. Like you mm -hmm. just, you pointed out a number right now between Blackboard and their Zoom interface and all of these things that now go together to create a class and make a class work, you know, whether it's right now or in the future where we're still hybrid or back, this has changed and it can't just be how to turn on the projector anymore. Yeah, it's the, the genie's out of the bottle with this. Yeah. And faculty have become far more aware of their teaching environment as a result of this, right? Because when they're looking at the video and they're saying, wow, I, I look like I'm in the dark, I'm kind of shadowed there. And boom, this light goes off that they're aware of the room's ambient light. Uh, when they're, <clears throat> excuse me, when they're getting indication from students that they can't be heard very clearly. I mean, yes, you're wearing a mask, but all of a sudden now they're aware of the acoustics of the classroom. Mm -hmm. So there are so many nuances that had gone unnoticed for the longest that was kind of our torment, right? When we're thinking about screen sizing, illumination, uh, reflective sound throughout the classroom, you know, you drop a pencil and you hear the reverberation for a half a week. Um, all of those things now matter because one, they're hearing them back on audio, two, they're seeing their, their likeness on video, and three, they're getting feedback from their students who are saying, what, could you repeat that? I can't hear you. Mm -hmm. uh, or I can't see that. Could you enlarge the text that's on your screen? Mm -hmm. You know, when they're 12 inches away from their monitor, it looks fine. And then they put that PowerPoint slide up on the screen and the students cannot see it, whether they're in the classroom or participating online. So those things are now beginning to really resonate with faculty. And I think um, we're seeing some reevaluation of their work, uh, of their approaches to disseminating uh, that information. And, and I welcome that uh, because it's leading to, to more hallway conversations uh, with faculty, with course designers. And uh, certainly as I think about our, um, our curriculum support team, and mm -hmm. uh, it's, to me, it's all good. It's a bit more work from our standpoint of support, but it's conversation that's been needed for a long time. So that user experience, um, better or worse, COVID has provided some highlights uh, to what we do mm -hmm. that reassures us that we're doing 
great work. Wow, I as I say, well, all right, that's I, I'm I'm capping out. I, I can't. That was a mic drop moment that. right there. Yeah, that was. Uh, congrats, Willie. That's uh, as I say. All right, I'm calling it there, um, guys. This has been an awesome uh, little discussion and everything. Um, as I say, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. However, um, before we uh, sign off and everything. Uh, Willie, where can the fine folks find you at? Oh, the fastest way to find me is W Franklin at otterbein.edu. And otterbein is O-T-T-E-R-B-E-I-N. If you misspell it, it's okay. It'll kick back to you and you'll go, wow, did I misspell it? <laughs> so, and I'm also on LinkedIn. So look me up there. Oh, there you go. Joe, where can the fine folks find you as well as all your all your exciting new content that's on uh, Higher Ed AV? Yeah. Um, no, thank you again for having me on my favorite podcast. You're the award-winning, HETMA award-winning yeah. podcast. So, um, you know, uh, and I just, I love being on with Willie. This is just fantastic. So, oh, yeah. um, the great, great end of the week here. Um, yeah, you can find me uh, personally on all the socials at Josiah Way. And of course, that's LinkedIn. Just find, put it and then slash Josiah Way after it, you'll find me. And then, of course, Higher Ed AV, the Higher Ed AV Now Digital Magazine. Really excited. Woo! Yay! Yay. Um, and it is higheredav.com. And of course, or all your socials slash Higher Ed AV, and you will find it all there. Oh, there you go. Once again, this is EdTech, the Higher Ed Monthly Tech Podcast. This is part of uh, the AV Nation family of podcasts. As always, this is it.